Good afternoon, Art Deco. Welcome on VH Berries. Uh, good evening to you, and thanks for having me, Victor. I am extremely grateful, and when I'm hearing your voice, Art Deco, I can feel that you are ready as Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> ready Freddy, yeah. Ready Freddy, as they say, yeah. Absolutely. I would love to discuss about uh, your latest release and album that you um, published and released uh, on the 175th day of this year. But before, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I just moved into uh, a new uh, apartment in Victoria. So... Over my left shoulder, there's there's like one quadrant of the living room that's set up that I'm willing to share with whomever <laughs> is tuning in in the interwebs. But on my right shoulder, it's it's hell, it's chaos, it's box city, it's like furniture that needs to be assembled. Um, but uh, yeah, I got the little you know the studio set up here, so I'm ready to ready to record ready to record and our deco last time we spoke uh, i remember that the wall behind you was almost blank and that you had as you just mentioned multiple boxes do we have some improvement since the last time uh yeah just just <laughs> I, I i framed it just enough to to make it like resemble a mature young man's uh, apartment. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's movie magic. It's like one of those like movie sets in the 1950s where behind it, it's just blocks of wood keeping the walls from falling down. It's kind of a metaphor for my life, really. <laughs> It is a metaphor for your life. And I truly believe uh, or decode that blank walls can also be very great, especially, for example, in your video clip called Only Ones, because it puts all the focus on the subject in front of the walls. Yeah, uh, I think you're referring to the music video for Only Ones? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, all the credit goes to the director, uh, Brandon... Fletcher, Brandon William Fletcher. Let's give some some flowers to Brandon. Sorry, Brandon. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's like a genius. I can't pump his tires enough. He like he's like a one man wrecking crew. Shoots, directs, edits, produces. Um, yeah, that was that was his kind of love child. We've been collaborating on a few videos, uh, but yeah. Props to Brandon. He also did the Midlife Crisis video, the Palm Slay video. And then on my last album, he, he worked on a video called Desires. And also some credit to um, Lou Wu, who does a really good job uh, coloring. I learned that um, color and grading post-edit is like super important. Um, and it's kind of where all the visual magic kind of gets elevated. So, you know, flowers to you, Lou. 
Let's give those flowers to, as you just mentioned, Brandon uh, William Fletcher, uh, who directed and edited this video, to Luwu, who uh, colored the video, and also to uh, Mark Lawson, who did all the mix. Yeah, Mark Lawson, definitely. Let's just give, you get flowers, you get flowers. Mark is, <laughs> Mark is amazing. So Mark is like, um, also a genius mixer and mixing is again like in the audio world you know a lot of albums um when we kind of give props to the production a lot of the times we're also giving whether we know it or not um a lot of uh props to the mix because a lot of the the magic is in the mix you know you can take uh, something that was recorded in a bedroom or, you know, like the first two Tame Impala albums, which sound incredible, Dave Fridman mixed them, were recorded, like Kevin Parker recorded on like a Boss 16 track, like digital recorder. And, you know, everybody talks about like the production. Really, it's like the, a lot of the times we're, we're, we're referring to the, like the mix, in my opinion. So when uh, I produced the album, I had like a hit list of all these you know, dream mixers. And um, Mark Lawson was on that mix uh, dream list. And so we flew out, uh, Connor and I, my guitar player who helped engineer on After the Head Rush, we flew out to, to Montreal in the fall. And Mark works out of uh, this house in downtown Montreal that's like the Arcade Fire compound. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to even describe this place, but if you're like a gearhead, such as I am, it's ridiculous. It um, It's this old kind of three-story house. I don't even know where it is, so I won't even blow up the spot. It's irrelevant. But uh, they've got like smash-proof like windows because there's so much equipment in there. And there's like Grammys and Emmys hanging up and like, you know, like they're using them as paperweights. And it's just this beautiful studio compound that the band rehearses. I think they recorded a bunch of suburbs there. They've had like the craziest musicians come in and out there. The gear in every <laughs> corner of that, uh, you know, home studio, if you'll call it that, is just ridiculous. Like stuff that would go fetch tens of thousands of dollars on reverb.com. There's like in triplicate of them just collecting dust. Like, oh yeah, we use that on you know, reflector and oh, that's the blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and I was just like a kid in a candy shop, but yeah, Mark's a G. We totally, um, he, he just, I, I told him, I was like, just imagine Bob Clearmountain, 1985, early 80s, like, let's make this jump through the speakers. And he was like, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, it was like a really cool experience. It was a very cool experience. And I believe that the magic of Art Decos resides, of course, through uh, this uh, blank wall, but also to, through the instrument that you just mentioned. Uh, for example, uh, the genius of Connor, which is a guitarist, and as you just mentioned, that very special place in downtown Montreal. Yeah, Connor, um, he's kind of a new addition. Um, he He's just like wise beyond his years. I mean, while kids were, you know, I'm, I've got like 10 years on him and he's just like another genius that I'm surrounded by, you know, lucky me. 
uh, while other kids are like, you know, skateboarding and playing video games, he's like teaching himself pro tools as a teenager and he can play circles around like probably everybody in the band at their bonafide instrument. Um, so yeah, he plays keyboards, guitars, uh, in the live iteration of the band. Um, but, uh, he's got a studio here in Victoria called Catalog. Check it out if you're a <laughs> young musician watching this. And, uh, yeah, he's like an engineer by trade. And so, I mean, I was just going to bring him into the fold just to play a show. And then it was like, well, COVID happens, there's no shows, but I'm recording an album. You know, maybe we'll, we can do like a couple days at your studio. And then, you know, two months later, he's like in deep in, uh, you know, Camp Deco. Uh, so I flew him out with me to to meet Mark and to hang out. And he was just like invaluable. He's like just, yeah, he's a jack of all trades. Master it like all of them. Flowers to Connor. <laughs> Inside the music studio, you're like, as you just mentioned, a kid in the kanji shop. But I would also add that you can also be a kid in a truck, especially when you were moving at the <laughs> age of six uh, from a city to another one, listening to AM radio and all these, which... Uh, made you felt uh, in love with rock and roll. Can you tell us a little bit more about <laughs> this episode of your journey? Uh, you do your research. Like, step aside, Nardwar. Victor is... Uh, flowers to Victor. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was born in Ottawa. My sisters and my mom and dad and I in the summer of 1990. We moved across Canada because um yeah long story doesn't matter so my sisters and my mom uh were in a ford tempo just trailing this u-haul truck and here i am with my little gumboots on and my shorts and my ninja turtles t-shirt with my dad in this truck moving across canada and it was like am radio the entire time and yeah there was just like he tells me now and i do have a, like a recollection of it there's like a few songs like girls don't cry like when a, they don't cry like that just totally just <laughs> blew my mind i was the entire was like is is that cry ai song coming on like dad can we hear that it's like you know art it's it's radio it'll come on again just relax every time we come on i go absolutely crazy so when we landed in victoria uh, we didn't have a lot of money but one of the things that my parents uh did was we had, we had this like little you know casio keyboard and there was like a local piano teacher that came over and you know it was like three kids one lesson just have it keep us busy for an hour give my parents a break and i took to it my sisters got bored of it and then i really took to it and we had this like record player and the only records the only violin records that like survived the mood move were uh christmas albums and uh, like Beethoven, like Moonlight Sonata specifically. I remember hearing that and it was just like discovering like AM radio and then classical music. It was just, like, just blew my mind. I was like, what are, like all these doors were opening up and, and um, 
So I, I took to it very quickly, and then the piano teacher took my parents aside, and he's like, look, little Arthur, he needs to go to my piano teacher, George Asahas, because he'll be able to, like, mentor him. And so, yeah, like, once every other week, I'd go to this, like, weird little church basement, and this uh, this man named George Asahas, who's in, in and of itself, like, he had, like, a crazy jazz career in Canada, he had like three pianos and it smelled like mothballs. And there was all these like newspaper clippings on the walls of like him in the fifties, just like killing it. The George Essahaus trio, all that. And uh, he didn't, we didn't play to a metronome. We didn't learn theory. I was just, he was like, what do you want to learn? I was like, I want to learn Moonlight Sonata. I'm like seven years old. He's like, all right, let's take it piece by piece. My little finger is on one piano and he's sitting beside me. And then he would write out the sheet music and then he would record like a 30 second snippet on a cassette. And then I would go home for two weeks, listen to it and like learn it. And, you know, every good boy deserves fudge. Okay, that's like an F, you know, like there's F on the piano. And like really like the sheet music that he would write was kind of secondary. It would just kind of reinforce it. It was all about like listening breaking it down so it taught me to kind of like you know learn music learn melody and um yeah like by the time i was a teenager i was like all right i'm done with beethoven let's what's next you know let's do some classic rock here and and that kind of was like a bridge to the adolescent years of my deco adventures and Art Deco, at the age of six, this may be the first time in history that someone has a midlife crisis at this age, <laughs> because Midlife Crisis is also a title of your latest release. And I would add that this is track number five out of 10 tracks, which is at the perfect center of the album. Um. With the new album, it's uh, it, there's like two parallel lines. I guess it dovetails into like where I left off on that last story. In that, when I was a teenager working in restaurants, falling in love with rock and roll, learning guitar, I eventually moved to Vancouver, played in bands for, I don't know, eight, nine years, got burnt out, quit music, moved to a golf island, um, sort of like had a, I guess, a quarter life crisis at that point. My grandmother had Alzheimer's and I was taking care of her. And uh, she would suffer from these bouts of like sundowning, which is like this weird, anybody watching who is living with someone who is living with Alzheimer's or dementia, it's this brutal anxiety kind of panic attack at sunset. And the only thing that would like calm her down would be to like play on her piano. And so eventually she moved into a home and I was in this big house, A-frame house overlooking this like old apple orchard. Like my grandmother, when she passed away, she was like 90. And so like from for the last 10 years of her life, she she had like this decline, this cognitive decline with dementia. And so like this apple orchard and this beautiful front yard and across the street, there's all these like dug fir trees and a lake and it's like majestic there's deer and rabbits and like the mist of the pacific it's like so evergreen and beautiful and here i am like just you know by myself in this house that i used to go to as a kid that had so much vibrance in life and it was like in the state of like decay and all the you know 
orchard had been overgrown with caterpillar nests and, you know, it was just chaos. And there was something kind of, there was this weird turning point where like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll get a career in a bank or something. I don't know. But for therapy, you know, just get a bottle of wine, cook myself dinner, and I would just start to play on the piano. And those compositions turned into like early Art Deco songs. And then it just kind of kicked off into this new weird trajectory. Um, and many years later, you know, here I am writing this album, you know, at 36, 37, I'm 38 now, thinking like, I've just moved back to Victoria. And uh, all these like memories of like my adolescence are kind of like coming to the forefront. And I'm remembering, you know, like I'm driving around these old haunts thinking like, oh, there's that parking lot I would sneak out to on a Friday night and shotgun a beer with my friends. And oh, there's the, there's the bush I puked in. And oh, it's a condo now. And, you know, there's like this duality of like half the songs feel adolescent, this head rush of the youth. And the other half is like this old, jaded, cynical me now looking like kind of. So there's these two parallel timelines. And I thought like to gift wrap one of them, it'd be cool to have a like a midlife crisis mid album and have it like speed up and kind of build and feel like you're about to vomit. So yeah. Absolutely. And Art Deco, during uh, those uh, late uh, 20s, uh, I feel that the location uh, in which you were living played uh, a huge role in what I can call the revival of your uh, creativity, especially in the musical field. This place is called Gulf Iceland and is located near Vancouver and is surrounded with waters, obviously, but also with beautiful landscapes. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the specific island that I lived on, I don't really talk about because <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm a very private guy and these islands are just, they're really tiny communities. But the Gulf Islands is like, there's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 of them. And yeah, they're between Vancouver Island and the mainland and they're all connected with these like ferries and stuff. Um, and they're interesting communities. Um some of them were like home to a lot of um, hippies and draft dodgers in the Vietnam War. And some of them just like never went back to America. And some of them are home to like mega mansions and super yachts. But you, everybody just like is, keeps to themselves. And it's this very, I don't want to say like lawless place, but it's like a very unique um, community or communities, if you will. So yeah, it was like an interesting kind of like middle period in my life that um, drove me headfirst into like a newfound creativity that I didn't really know that I had inside of me. And um, yeah, I haven't lived there in a few years now. I've, I've come home to roost back to Victoria. <laughs> so yeah. And as a teenager, if I understood correctly, you were also working in kitchens 
which means that you were as good uh, when cooking as when cutting, for example, instrumentals. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about being a musician, there's like a handful of jobs that one can, um, you know, maintain, if you will. It's especially if you're in your late teens or in your 20s. And yeah, kitchens, restaurant, bars, lounges, whatever, they're all, they're, they're kind of like a perfect, like, you know, breeding ground of creatives. And, um, you know, for a kid that like discovered, I feel like I came late to the rock and roll party. I was like 16 working at this, at this restaurant and everybody in the kitchen was like 10 years older than me. And back then it was like CD binders. So, you know, when I would like mop the floors at night, I would like you know, like open it up like it was like this book of revelations and just like, wow, what is this? And it's like greatest hits like Queen, Bowie, <laughs> you know, Steve Miller Band, like all that classic dad rock stuff that was like, you know, if you're discovering it like in drips throughout your life, you it's like a boiled frog analogy. It doesn't, it's just like you become like inoculated to it. But to me, it was like full on. And um, yeah, the kitchen was like a perfect like breeding ground for me to just dive into rock and roll. And then when I eventually moved, when I was 20 to Vancouver, it was like, it just leveled up because I worked in a bar and everybody was, you know, good looking and an actor or a model and cool. And, you know, I was just country bumpkin with like, you know, greasy hair and pimples and baggy jeans. And I didn't know anything. And I was like, oh, what about, you know, this band? And everybody's like, no, what about this band? So it was like, <laughs> kind of like, um, you know, the, the bar that I worked at, the, this is kind of like the 2005, 2004, 2012 era. So it was like, electro clash in what we call indie sleaze now and it was like everybody had like asymmetrical haircuts and like really skinny jeans and dirty chuck taylors and it was this kind of like indie cool that i it was like a crash course and it was like a whole other version of rock and roll um that i you know succumbed to if you will <laughs> really aging myself in this interview <laughs> skinny jeans asymmetrical uh, haircuts uh, at that time uh, did you identify yourself to that uh, special style that you just mentioned oh yeah i mean you like i the the restaurant that i worked at um my sister was dating the bar manager and so <laughs> yeah talk about nepotism right And I, I, so I was going to University of Victoria. I was 20 years old. I dropped out of UVic. I used my second semester. I had like 700, no, I had $1,400 saved up to apply to my next semester. I told my parents, I'm going to go to Vancouver. I'm going to play some music, but I'll become a paramedic or something. Like, I still want to go to school. Don't worry, mom and dad. And uh, they weren't really upset. I think my dad was for a little, for a hot minute, but my mom's like such a hippie. She's like, this is your dharma. You have to do this. So I go and, uh, you know, I'm like a porter, like a bar back. And there's no way I'm going to like survive beyond month three. I'm going to run out of money very quickly because, you know, you need to serve, you need to make actual tips. And I had like zero experience, but I was, I was headstrong. I'm going to do this. You know, um, I was always on call. Like, if you need me to, like, plunge toilets, I'll be there. Mop floors, I'll be there. 
And so, but I didn't look the part. Like everybody was like far cooler than me. And I just, like I said, I looked like a country bumpkin. And like this one time I uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to go shopping. I've got like a couple hundred dollars. I've got, I've got to get some cooler clothes. And I was watching like what the other guys were wearing and stuff. I just didn't know where to go. And I was walking down um, Davy Street in this like, it's like the gay village. And so there's tons of like, shops and stuff and there was this clothing store and this lady uh she was quite like uh infamous in the davy street village at the time she ran a clothing like a boutique store and she was always like sweeping out front and uh you know it was like appointment only she was like super snooty and i came in there being like hey you know I, i need some cool clothes like she looked at me up and down. She's like, yeah, you're a mess. Here, come with me. And she like had me outfitted in like <laughs> all these like shirts and stuff and like a pewter, like a white belt with like a pewter belt buckle and like a denim shirt with these little pearl buttons and like all this like all this stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm not even looking at the price. And so keep in mind, I have my rent $600 a month. I have $1,400 to my name to last like a, a couple of months. And she writes up, she punches all the stuff in. She's like, that'll be $730. And I was like, all right, do you take debit? <laughs> and I bought, I was like so afraid and intimidated. I bought the clothes and then I showed up to work the next day. My sister and her boyfriend and all the staff were like, like, who's this guy? Like, what, what? makeover did you just buy for a like what is going on here and uh lucy my sister she pulls me aside she's like okay art um so what's the deal what what where'd you get these clothes and i'm like i went to that store on david she's like you what how much did you spend and i was like uh 700 ish dollars she's like you don't have that kind of money are you insane and then so the next day she's like you're we're returning this i'm like i can't she's too intimidating this lazy lady is insane so we go back the next day and sure enough uh you know i had the clothes kind of like folded in a bag with like the tag still and this lady was not having it and she like convinced us like you know she told she's like your brother he needs to wear these clothes he's uh, ugly without them and lucy's like okay you're on your own dude (laughs) we like left so i was uh now now i had like one month's rent and so i was really uh, up against it but yeah that was like the you know the crash course into like you know the big the big smoke for me i was just just didn't know what i was doing but i think a lot of a lot of people probably get swooned by the big city for the first time that they move to one, you know. Or Deco, you are definitely on another dimension when it comes to uh, taking risk, which is very uh, inspiring. And what happened after uh, that uh, uh, remaining one month of... Uh, of uh, <laughs> of resources, if I can say that. Well, I mean, now I had like a couple outfits to at least maybe work like a day shift, like a brunch shift serving. And so um, I get like assigned on the schedule, like a couple training shifts. And this is like the summer of like 2004. 
And back then in the restaurant, this is kind of like also formative. Um, the restaurant was open from like 11 till two in the morning. DJs would play Wednesday to Saturday. It was kind of like a unique Yale town. It's no longer there anymore. Um, but anyway, so I, I would go in there in the morning and I was doing my training shifts and there was this giant like CD uh, changer, like a hundred disc CD changer. And one of the, it was all mix CDs. One of the mix CDs, I remember to this day, like the track listing, it was like, Godless by Dandy Warhols, uh, you know, Sound and Vision by David Bowie. There was like a couple songs off like the Blow soundtrack, you know, like Black Betty, you know, Can You Hear Me Knocking or whatever, like all this like cool stuff that, again, it was like formative for me because I'd never heard it, like, uh, you know, Prince, all this stuff. And I remember just like cranking the stereo and like you're doing roll ups and you're putting down chairs and you know you're doing your little checklist and I did that for the summer and um you know it, it was it was like experiencing all this music and getting inspired to like form or join a band and yeah it was like it was it was super addicting it was it was kind of like I don't know it was it, it was like I said it was very formative for me so yeah eventually I, I eventually, I was always able to make rent. I was always able to make ends meet. But yeah, I was getting by, you know, the skin of my teeth. There's probably more than one occasion where I just ate like microwave popcorn or dollar pizza or whatever. But yeah, I mean, who hasn't, right? Microwave popcorn and one dollar's pizzas. And um since the beginning, you were always believing uh, in yourself. And as the day of today, with uh, this new trilogy of albums, uh, with uh, Trespasser in standard definition, and now with After the Head Rush, you're closing uh, a chapter and beginning a new one. Yeah. Uh, it's like the paper bag trilogy, you know, <laughs> there was an album before that, um, in the Gulf Island islands days, uh, I think around like 2014, 15, I started like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put together some songs. Let's see if I can put together an album. And I put together a batch of songs and I would do trips to Vancouver and, uh, record them and whatnot. But I mean, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like demoing my stuff on like GarageBand on like a janky computer that, you know, the screen was like cracked to all hell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm like playing like, you know, I'm recording um, drums with chopsticks on like a cutting board in my kitchen. Like, hopefully, you know, now there's new tenants living upstairs where my Grammy used to live and I'm in like literally my grandmother's basement. Oh man. And so, yeah, those demos formed uh, an album called Day Fevers and I released it and got a band together. And so all of 2016 and 17, I was like, really, okay, I want to do this on my own terms. And that's kind of when I started to like, you know, dabble in some glam rock cosplay and I just didn't want people to know in, in the hometown that I was living in that I was doing this. You know, I wanted to remain anonymous. So I was like, why don't I wear a costume? So I went and like bought a wig at the mall and would wear like makeup. And and um, yeah, that kind of kind of ran its course. And then 
sometime late in 2017, I recorded another album, uh, which would become Trespasser. And that's when like uh, labels took notice and I signed with Paper Bag Records and that kind of like entered, ushered in like a new era of Deco, Deco 2.0. Absolutely, and our Deco. Um, what is your plan for this upcoming powerful chapter in your creative journey it might start with a restart and refresh for example of your haircuts and um visual uh artistic side yeah i think uh i think with this new album post uh global pandemic i was thinking to myself look art you're pushing you're actually pushing that midlife now time to <laughs> strip the androgyny down pack that into a little uh suitcase tuck it into storage be you obviously i don't have blonde hair this this shit has died as all hell but um i yeah i wanted to kind of like reset victor and be more me i guess you know also this the the whole statement of androgyny and gender identity and all that stuff like a lot has changed since 10 years ago it's not transgressive it's not cool to to literally trespass into um that territory if you're not really actually that and i'm this hetero cisgendered 38 year old dude like what business do I have, you know, being androgynous and wearing a wig and pretending I'm something I'm not. So out of respect and just to kind of usher in like a different vibe, I was, yeah, it was time to change. Eventually, uh, when the bleach grows out and I get a haircut, maybe album, maybe the next album you'll see just like a silver fox and I'll truly, I will have cocooned my way out and into the world as <laughs> the authentic art we all need to know. I truly love this new album after the head rush. My favorite track is Only Ones. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Art Deco. Uh, thank you for having me, Victor. 